the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 22 this morning, reading from verses 14 to 23. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. Let's continue to worship as we hear the the word of the Lord. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which one of them it was going to be who was going to do this. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you this morning and we worship you. We worship you for your great plan of redemption that is revealed in the scriptures. The Lord Jesus taking the form of a servant, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Father, this all shows your great faithfulness. You are faithful to all of your promises from Genesis to Abraham to David. All of your promises come true in the Lord Jesus. And Father, we confess this morning that we are a people who are weak and we are needy. We're often tired. We're often slow to believe. And Father, we need to know more of your faithfulness to us. Your faithfulness to your promises. We need to see more of your character Father, we ask humbly this morning, we ask that you would increase our faith today as we think upon Jesus' words in the supper, what they mean, what is he doing here. Would you increase our faith in him? Father, we're confident that you will hear us and that you will answer us this morning and that you will work greater faith in us through your word. We pray this in Jesus' great name, amen. The Apostle Paul ends the book of 1 Thessalonians in this way. He says to the Thessalonians, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And Paul, at the end of this letter, as he's encouraging the Thessalonians, he brings them to see their hope in this life. The faithfulness of God. The Thessalonians, they can have confidence 
and even assurance that they will stand blameless in the coming judgment because the one who called them by the gospel will complete that work in their hearts. And correspondingly, Paul desires that this church, that the Thessalonians, would further entrust themselves to this God who is faithful. And so as we consider Paul's words from 1 Thessalonians, a question should arise in our minds, a few questions should arise in our minds. How does this God of peace keep us blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? How does the Lord persevere our faith and sanctify us? And what does this look like in the midst of the church, in the midst of our lives? We can give a few answers to these questions this morning because we've been charting them out over the last two weeks. First, we can say, we can point to the powerful Word of God and its preaching. God calls us by His Word. He sustains us by His Word. He further transforms us into the image of Christ through His Word. We're reminded of Jesus' words in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. Second, we can look to prayer. In prayer, we call upon this generous and good God who is our Father. And this Father loves to give good gifts to His children. And we can cry out, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And by His grace and His mercy and His goodness, our Father hears us and He answers us and He perseveres us through our prayers. And we can supply a third answer this morning as well. The sacraments. In the sacraments, our God declares Himself faithful to us and assures us of His faithfulness and even strengthens us with His faithfulness. Our aim this morning as we take up the topic of the sacraments is to do what Paul is doing in 1 Thessalonians. When we look into the sacraments, we want to know more of the faithfulness of God. We want to see how He strengthens us and assures us. And in consequence, as we see the faithfulness of God revealed in the supper, in the sacraments, we want to entrust ourselves more and more to this God who is faithful to us. This is what the sacraments call for in us, greater faith. And this is what they work in us, greater faith. Before we jump into our text this morning, Luke chapter 22, we need to set a few borders and parameters by what we mean by the sacraments. And I want to do this through the Heidelberg Catechism. And, and the Catechism helps us. It, it's like setting a fence on each side of the road. It, it keeps, from, keeps us from falling into the left side of the ditch. and keeps us falling from the right side of the ditch. It keeps us on a path. And so the Catechism works by a series of questions and answers. And it's teaching us. And so we'll just go through a few of the questions and answers and make a few comments on these. So question. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ Jesus and all His benefits, where does this faith come from? Answer. From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the Gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What the Catechism is doing here is it's teaching us is that we get into Christ and His Gospel through faith. And this faith is given to us from God through His Spirit, and it comes to us through the means of the preaching of the Gospel. And the Catechism is just summarizing verses we know very well, like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. So we can agree with the catechism, faith comes from the Holy Spirit. We can also think of Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so the Spirit works this faith in our hearts through the preaching of the word as Paul teaches in Romans. But the catechism might surprise us here because the catechism does not stop with the preaching of the word. It goes on to point out that this faith which gets us into Christ is strengthened, made strong by the use of the sacraments. What the catechism is teaching is that the the sacraments are helpers of our faith. So we can continue on. Question, what are the sacraments? Answer, the sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use, He might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise that God graciously grants us the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. So what does, what does this mean? What is this teaching? I think this is what the catechism means. God is the master teacher. He reveals the truth of the gospel in the preaching of the word, but God knows us. He knows that we are weak and that we're dull and we're slow to believe. So as the master teacher, God condescends down to our level and he picks up these things of the earth, water, bread, and wine, so that he might make all the more plain to us the gospel of Christ. And then only as God can, as the master teacher, he uses these tactile signs, these earthy signs, water, bread, and wine, to assure us that Christ is indeed our Savior and that he has indeed delivered us from sin, death, and hell. Question, are both the Word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed, answer. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the Gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. So the catechism, again, is is teaching that the Word and sacrament both run in the same direction. They travel down the same road. They're leading us to the same destination. And their vision is this, to show us and assure us of the faithful God who has saved us from our sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. Question. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant? Answer. Two. Baptism and the Supper. So baptism and the supper are the very tangible ways that our Father continues to strengthen our faith in Christ Jesus. These are helpers of our faith to make us strong in Him. So this morning, we just don't want to set definitions this morning, but we want to see and know the faithfulness of God. So let's look into the Scriptures this morning. Let's look into the Gospel of Luke and see how Jesus' words in the supper brings us, reveals to us the faithfulness of God. So as we enter into the Gospel of Luke this morning, we have to note that Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Supper does not appear in a theological vacuum. Luke, in this passage, as he's writing his Gospel, is not writing a handbook on the proper use of the Supper. Rather, the Supper appears in the midst of a story. 
And without the story, without this broader context, the whole Gospel of Luke, the supper becomes quite meaningless and abstract. So we have to point out that the supper appears in a story about redemption. Jesus has come as the appointed one to fulfill the Lord's promises to Abraham and to David. He is the promised seed. He is the promised king. And in the Gospel of Luke, the Lord Jesus himself explains the very essence, the very meaning of his mission from from Isaiah. He takes up these words from the prophet and he explains his ministry. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And with this story in mind, the story of redemption in mind, as we come to the supper, the message of the supper becomes very clear. This supper is fundamentally about the salvation that Jesus seeks to accomplish. The supper points the reader to the cross and even further to the resurrection. And Jesus teaches in the supper it is through the giving of His body and the spilling of His blood that liberty and freedom and forgiveness will come to God's people. Isaiah's words will only be fulfilled through the cross work of Jesus. And at the same time, we have to place the supper in the story of the disciples. And as we consider the disciples in the Gospels, they are a mixed bag of people. At times, these men show great promise. We see them casting out demons. We see them preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom throughout the land of Israel. However, as the Gospel narrative continues on, as Luke continues to write, the weakness and the failures of the disciples become very, very clear. We can just chart out the, the characteristics of these men. We can say they were weak in understanding. Jesus clearly teaches the gospel to them in Luke. He says to them that he will suffer and he will die and he will be raised on the third day. But with this clear teaching to them, their darkness is shrouded. They cannot understand. In fact, they even resist the message of the gospel. We can think of Peter telling the Lord Jesus, no, you cannot go to the cross. You will not die. They're weak in understanding. They're weak in obedience. Jesus has served the disciples throughout the gospel story. And he calls his disciples to a life of service. What do the disciples do? Even in the context of the supper, what are the disciples found arguing about? Who is the greatest? Who is preeminent? Who is going to have first place? And we see in the disciples that they have not embraced, they are disobedient to Jesus' call to deny oneself and to take up one's cross and follow after Him. So the disciples are weak in understanding, they're weak in obedience, and they're even weak in faith. And Jesus knows that as His death approaches, His disciples are on the great verge of a, a trial. The shepherd will be struck and the sheep will be scattered. These men will abandon Him in His suffering. And Jesus knows the design of Satan. He tells Peter these words. Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. The Lord Jesus knows what Peter will do, that he will deny him three times. And when we come to the supper, Jesus invites these disciples, these men who are weak in understanding, who don't get the gospel, 
These men who are weak in obedience. These men who are weak in faith. And what does Jesus say to these men? He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Such precious words. And in these words, we can see the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus so clearly. He welcomes these weak men to the table. He reclines with them. He strengthens them so that they will not be utterly lost in this great trial that is coming upon them. And this is who our Savior is throughout the Gospel. He is the Savior who dines with sinners and tax collectors. He is the physician who has not come to heal the well, but has come for the sick. He has not come to call the righteous, but He has come to call sinners to repentance. He is the great shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep and He goes after the one lost sheep. And the story tells us what the supper is all about. Jesus' intention in it. The supper is a demonstration of the Gospel to us and for us. And Jesus doesn't give us this supper for the strong and powerful, but it's for those who are weak in faith. He gives it for those who are weary and tempted. He gives it for the sinner. And our Savior's intention as the supper is then that we might be strengthened. That our resolve might grow deeper in His faithfulness. And that through these signs, He might assure us more and more of the faithfulness of God. So as we look at Jesus' words this morning in the Gospel of Luke, He strengthens His disciples in three ways. First, the Lord Jesus strengthens His disciples by confirming the faithfulness of God to them. We can just place ourselves in the shoes of the disciples a bit this morning. As the time of Jesus' death drew near, it must have been truly terrifying for these men. They had pinned all of their hopes upon Jesus. They had confessed to be Messiah. They had taken upon His mantle of discipleship. They followed Him. They left houses and family for His sake. They were instructed by His words. They ate bread and fish that He Himself had multiplied. They saw His mighty power, healing the sick, casting out demons, ruling over nature. They experienced even more His love, His friendship, and His service. And Jesus' words must have stung in their ears. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What thoughts were running through these, the minds of these men? How could the kingdom of God come? We've been hoping for the kingdom of God. How could it come if God's king dies? How could God be faithful to us to all of His promises, if this Christ is killed. Even more, how can we continue on if Jesus, our faithful friend and leader and teacher, is gone from us? Maybe even a bit selfishly, what will become of our, all of our sacrifices? We have left our homes, our jobs, to follow this man, and we've taken on his mantle of discipleship, what will become of all of this? What is going to become of us? And the Lord Jesus takes this very matter up in the supper. He grabs hold of the bread and he takes up the cup and he instructs his disciples that his death is not a hindrance to the faithfulness of God. Rather, his death is the accomplishment, it's the fruition of the faithfulness of God. And he places the bread and the cup into the hands of of his weary and tempted disciples 
to certify that indeed God is faithful to all of his promises. And he's even faithful to them. Jesus teaches us in his words of institution that all the promises of God hinge upon his death. Verse 19, Luke records, And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus instructs here with these words that his death is in fact necessary. His body must be given for them. He must be their substitute. And it's rather fitting that this whole scene takes place while the nation of Israel was preparing for Passover. The Jews were slaying their Passover lambs. They were remembering the deliverance that the Lord had provided for them from Egypt. And Jesus takes up the bread in the midst of all of this pageantry and says, this is my body which is given for you. Jesus is teaching us this morning. He reveals to us that He is the greater Passover Lamb. That all the types and symbols and shadows in the Old Covenant and the sacrificial system come to fruition in Him and are fulfilled in His offering. He will effect a greater exodus than Moses did because He is the greater sacrifice. One in which the people will be definitively freed from their sin and the power of Satan. And he will, his death will surely blot out all of their sins. I'm reminded of Isaiah's prophetic words in chapter 53. These words about substitution. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus tells his disciples, this is my body which is given for you. My death is necessary. Again, Jesus confirms the faithfulness of God in his death. Verse 20. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Again, in these words, Jesus testifies that the promises of God are coming true. His death does not impede the progress of the promises of God, but His death actually brings about the promises of God. Jesus' words are rich this morning. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus points back, He calls to remembrance, the Old Covenant. At Sinai, the Old Covenant was ratified by the blood of oxen. Jesus says of Himself that His blood is ushering in a new and better covenant, a new and better relationship between God and His people. Through the blood, through Jesus' blood, through His cross work, the promises of Jeremiah 31 are present. No longer will God's people be hard-hearted and stubborn like they were in the Old Covenant. No longer will they be known as covenant breakers. But the Lord Himself will come and He will write His law upon their hearts. No longer will God live far from His people because of their guilt and shame, but God will surely forgive them of all of their sins. And even greater, no longer will the people of God know God in obscurity, but the least of them to the greatest of them will know the Lord. 
This is what Jesus means when he says, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Through my death, a greater relationship is affected between you and the Father. And as the Lord Jesus placed the bread and the cup into the hands of his disciples, so too the Lord Jesus comes to us and places these signs into our hands. And if we're often, if we're honest with ourselves, we are, we are so much like these disciples. They're full of fear. We're full of fear. They're full of doubt. We're often full of doubt. They're weak in obedience. We're so often weak in obedience. And Jesus intends the supper. He works in the supper to overcome our doubts and our fears and our weaknesses and assure us of the faithfulness of God. And we can take the bread this morning knowing that Jesus' body has been given for us. And because His body has been given for us, we have been delivered from sin. We are no longer guilty, but Christ has suffered in our place as the greater Passover lamb. And we can take the cup knowing that as we participate in it, the blessings of the new covenant are ours. We've been forgiven of our sins and we can know God truly. So Jesus gives the supper to His disciples to to strengthen their faith. There's a second reason why Jesus gives the supper. He strengthens disciples by feeding them with the faithfulness of God. This is an obvious point, but we can't miss it. The supper is a meal. The signs that Jesus picks up and points out to his disciples are not random or haphazard. Bread signifies his body broken for us. The cup signifies a new covenant in his blood. And what are we to do with these signs that Jesus gives to us? What are we to do with this bread and this wine? Well, he tells us to eat it. He tells us to drink of it. Jesus is teaching us here with this symbolism. Just as our bodies are sustained and nourished by bread and wine, even more so we need to be sustained by the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Our crucified and risen Savior is our true food, our true meat, our true drink. Jesus teaches even more plainly in the Gospel of John the meaning of the supper. John chapter 6, verses 53 through 56, Jesus explains. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For My flesh is true food, and My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me, and I in Him. What does this all mean? What does it mean that our crucified and risen Savior is our true food and our true drink? That we need to be sustained by His body and His blood? Does it mean when we come to the supper that the, that the wine turns into Jesus' physical blood? Does it mean that somehow magically the, the bread is transformed into His body? No. That would be a great, great misunderstanding of the force of Jesus' words. Rather, it means when Jesus offers the bread and the wine to us, He is calling for a real spiritual union between us and Him. This feeding, this drinking, is all about abiding in Jesus. We see it in John chapter 6. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in Him. It's all about coming to Christ in faith. 
and being satisfied in who He is for us. It's about finding our source of life in Him. It's about hungering for this meal. Jesus teaches us that this supper is not a mere intellectual exercise. We do not just remember God's faithfulness. We do not just bank upon God's faithfulness. We do this, but there's more. We in the meal come in faith, and we eat the bread and drink the cup, and we actually taste and are nourished by the faithfulness of God. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And in the supper, we who are weak and are hungry and are thirsty are led by these signs that God gives us, the bread and the wine, to the true bread of life. And when we eat of these signs in faith, we are satisfied with Christ himself. And when we eat of them in faith, Christ promises that we will never be hungry. And when we drink of them by faith, Christ promises that we shall never be thirsty. And we can just remember, going back to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, how God provided for His people so faithfully. They were in the wilderness. And what did God give them? He gave them bread from heaven. And they always had enough manna. And in the supper, our Lord feeds us with a better meal, the true bread that has come down from heaven. And the supper points us, if we come to Christ in faith, we shall never be hungry, we shall never be thirsty. And as we come to the supper together, we can expect to find real nourishment in our Savior. Because in the supper, we have real communion with the crucified, risen, and reigning Savior. And He will feed His people. So Jesus in the supper, he strengthens his disciples by confirming the faithfulness of God and then by feeding them with the faithfulness of God. And he strengthens them in a third way. In the supper, he proclaims the coming of the faithful God. What is recorded in Luke chapter 22 should not be considered the last supper. It is not the Last Supper. This is not a funeral meal. This is not a meal that marks the end of Jesus' existence. Rather, the supper is shot through with resurrection hope. We cannot understand it without the end of the story. It's all about another meal that is coming. Jesus says in verse 16, He says, For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Going down to verse 18, Jesus says, For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And Paul, reasoning through the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, takes up this theme as well in 1 Corinthians 11.26. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Jesus is teaching us here that the, the Gospel story does not end with His death. Rather, it ends with resurrection, ascension, and heavenly session. And then a second coming. And Jesus knew that as He drew near to the cross, He wanted His disciples to know that His death was not the end of the story. The supper calls us. It calls us to look back. It calls us to look in the present, but it also calls us to look forward. It announces that our faithful Savior will return for His people. Every time we take the bread and drink of the cup, 
Jesus reminds us with this supper that this is not the end of the story. He reminds us that soon we will be united to Him in fullness. Soon we will no longer need these signs and symbols given to us to point us to Him, but we will see Him face to face. We will soon emerge from the wilderness where we will no longer need manna, but we will enter the promised land where we will eat of milk and honey. The supper points us forward to a great meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb. There we will be clothed in fine linen, bright and pure, and the bride. We will forever be with our husbands. As we take the bread and the cup, this meal we partake of in the presence, we must remember that our Savior is going to return for us. He is faithful to His promises. And even more, as we partake of these elements, we take the bread and the cup. This is like an appetizer meal on the way. It should awaken us greater delights, greater passions to know Christ more fully, to yearn more for this great marriage supper of the Lamb when we'll leave this wilderness and enter into the fullness of His presence forevermore. It should stir us up. It should create longings in us. Paul tells the Thessalonians, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And this is what the sacraments are all about. They proclaim to us, they assure us of the faithfulness of God. And we are a weak people. We're a dull people. We're slow to believe. We're often cloudy. We can find ourselves with the disciples of Jesus And the sacraments come to us, and in them God declares that He does not want us to live in doubt. He does not want us to live in uncertainty of His promises. Our God does not sit idly by in the heavens as we flounder. But the sacraments tell us that our God has stooped down from His glorious throne, and He's picked up these earthy signs so that we might have assurance that He might make our faith strong in Him, that He might come to us and persuade us more fully of His grace and His faithfulness. As we come this morning, as we come to the table and as we partake of the sacraments this morning, let us renew our hearts before Him. Let us come to these signs expecting that we will be fed. Let us come longing to grow more in faith and to be persuaded more fully of His faithfulness to us. And let us come knowing that our Savior will indeed return for His people. He is a faithful Savior. Oh, Father, we exalt in you this morning. We give thanks. Jesus gave thanks, and so do we. We praise you for what a faithful God you are. You have kept all of your promises in Christ Jesus. His death certifies and ratifies them. And you are a master teacher. You have condescended down to us. You have picked up these things of the earth. And you draw us near to your heart. So, Father, we pray that you would increase our faith this morning. I believe. Help my unbelief. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.